And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. First fancast of the new hockey season, the Vancouver Canucks summer of COVID camp got underway Monday at Rogers Arena, but long before the players hit the ice transfer, man, we had name calling, we had fan shaming, we had bombs being thrown from all corners of Canucks Twitter. Hockey is back, and I guess we couldn't be happier about that. It was awesome, eh? Like, it was just awesome to be back in the rink, and there were just these moments watching... You know, Brock Besser just sort of tune opponents in those down low three on three battle drills. Like he was on, he was just winning board battles. Eventually, I think Tyler Myers got frustrated him and just frustrated and just like pinned him against the wall for a bit. I was having a good chuckle at that. Um, you know, watching Quinn Hughes just sort of skedaddle down from the point as he does and just hit Chris Tanev with one of those bullet passes that like despite being impossible for anyone to intercept just lands like softly like three ply soft on Tanev's blade you know right in the sort of high slot I mean just awesome like it was awesome to see players this good play hockey again you know we're, we all, I, I think if anything I'd come to take for granted it was just how much I enjoy watching players at this level and especially some of the Canucks' best young guys, uh, just play the game. Like, that was awesome. Even if, you know, the tug on the air from the masks and you know, the overall sort of atmosphere was so weird. Uh, first of all, I think the Canucks did a really good job. Like, I felt safe. I felt like it was organized, planned, relatively normal. But just being back at the rink felt great yesterday. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And, and you know, we all knew going in that, there is no old times like things have changed and and I thought all things considered you know when I walked out of the building after uh the sessions the on sessions and after all the media and sort of my day was done and I was walking back to my car and I just thought you know what I, I think for the first go round 
in this new reality. Like, I thought it felt fairly comfortable. And for me, there was just this sense of, you know, normalcy and being back where we all want to be. And, and I'm kind of with you. Like, I didn't really know what to expect. I know guys have been skating on their own. And for the last week or so in phase two, there have been a handful of guys skating together. But, you know, if you had sort of been dropped down from an alien ship and not aware of what was going on on this planet for the last four months, you know, that looked like a mid-February or mid-March practice. Like, I thought the pace was pretty good. I thought the tempo. Uh, I thought, for the most part, you know, guys weren't forced to find their games. Like, they looked reasonably sharp for having had this layoff. And, you know, Travis Green talked about it afterwards as well. Like, he seemed pretty pleased with day one. If that's the jumping-on point, then, you know, it should only get better from here. It was a really high-paced practice. The first 20 minutes really did not have much transition time between breaks, and all of those were movement drills. Like, there was no ozone or d-zone setup drills where guys are standing for even a minute right like they were going hard and yeah I think they looked pretty good uh you know toward the end of practice after the Canucks had sort of emptied the bowl so that Jim Benning could do his availability uh which I think was wise because it caused most of the media pool to miss the bag skate um, after mm-hmm. the bag skate, there was, uh, you know, a couple guys struggling um, as Greener gave them a bit of a hard time. But, you know, uh, not nothing more than you'd have expected on the first day of camp. Like, I thought the team looked pretty well tuned up, um, and that's got to be a good sign. I mean, you can understand why Travis would have ended the tr- training session raving about sort of where the club's at. Yeah, and, and look, everybody knew that we knew the skate was coming. I'm sure the players knew the skate was coming. Uh, you know, I was sort of curious, to, and not that we have access to back of house now, but, you know, having a chance to talk to Travis Green just sort of about the normalcy or lack thereof of trying to conduct this first practice of training camp, you know, in the summer months up against all that's going on with COVID. And he admitted that, you know, like he addressed that with his players. I think it was you that asked the question, like, did you have the mask on when you, you gave the, you know, the, the pre-practice speech? And he admitted that he wore the mask from his office to the dressing room. He said he took it off to address the players. But, you know, for the most part, uh, I just thought they went about their business and, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. Obviously, the news of the day was Michael Furlan. And, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you were like me that, you know, he was one of the guys that you wanted to keep an eye on if he was going to be part of the main group. But, you know, we learned as the players were filtering out just before the start of the 11 o'clock practice, the Canucks uh, put out word that Furlan was deemed unfit to play. And then Jim Benning sort of with the predictable uh, responses that, you know, under these protocols of return to play that he just, he, he doesn't have to, and he can't really fill us in a whole lot more. But he did say he didn't expect Furlan to be gone for a long time. So uh, we'll see when Michael Furland, uh, if Michael Furland rejoins the group. But, you know, if there was a disappointment on day one, I think for me, it was the fact that, you know, this guy that has basically come through a lost season was nowhere to be seen as his teammates were getting back to work here. One day into the unfit to play protocol. And, you know, I suspect anyway, based on Jim Benning's comments following up on when Ben Kuzma really sort of dug in and credit to Ben Kuzma for really not accepting the unfit to play designation and asking two follow ups about it, like genuinely respect like that's the way we should be handling this. Like it's an absurd designation and standard that the league has come up with. But look, here's how here's how it's been framed to me on the GM's call, you know, uh, one of the GMs, uh, I suspect it was Julian Brisbois because Steven Stamkos had been injured earlier in the day, sort of started litigating, like, what if we end up 
like, what if we end up having these questions where it's like, yeah, this guy's got an upper body. Yeah, that guy's got a lower body. Yeah, that guy asked the league. Like, are you really protecting player <laughs> privacy in that environment? And so, you know, a- out of that, we have the unjust or unfit to play and the un- unable to practice designations. We don't know what they mean. They don't mean a whole lot. And for a guy like Furland, whose, you know, injury situation has been tracked closely over the past three months and whose status in or out of the lineup has massive implications for this club one way or the other, you know, this is a huge story. And obviously when he doesn't step on the ice, everyone thinks it's X and maybe it's not right. Or everyone thinks it's Y because it's a pandemic and maybe it's not right. Like it could be a minor lower body. He could be, you know, isolated out of an abundance of caution because he's a close contact. It could be, you know, that he's nicked his shoulder in phase two training or who knows. Right. But either way, saying unfit to play sets off all this speculation that doesn't really seem fair to Furland or the club and is essentially, you know, essentially it's like day one of the new regime of unfit to play. And you've got a team in the Vancouver Canucks that's probably acting against their own self-interest to adhere to it. And on the other side of the country in Pittsburgh, you've got them saying, oh, nine players are uh, missing practice because of uh, close contact tracing, um, you know, caution on our end, right? That's a major announcement. Like, that's that's a level of transparency we should probably expect, frankly. But it's also inconsistent with what other teams around the league were told to do. I don't know if they got special dispensation from the league, although if they did, why didn't the league handle that release itself? Uh, you know, if you come up with a rule and on day one, you've got on the one hand a team chafing under it, and on the other hand, the standards of that rule being inconsistently applied across the 24 teams in phase three, uh, that doesn't give me a lot of hope that this rule is flexible enough to accommodate the, the complicated injury updating needs of the 24 teams competing in this, uh, you know, Stanley cup return to play format. So we'll see where this goes. Uh, I'm trying to take it as it comes and, and sort of not overreact day to day about, uh, minor things, but I'd say day one of the unfit to play regime left me unimpressed. Um, (laughs) and you know, and, and feeling strongly that I don't think this is going to serve anybody's needs well as we go forward. Well, if you were miffed, I couldn't tell because you had your mask on and I couldn't read your facial expressions. So. <laughs> but you could when I turned the corner at gate two and saw you're the first guy I see at the rink. And I swear, J-Pat, it was like it was like you'd come home from work and I was a pup. You know what I mean? Like I was like so excited to see you. You were like, down, boy. Like, calm down. Like, <laughs> it's only been five months. I was just like, J-Pat, like, oh, my God. I was so excited to see you. It was quite embarrassing. Well, I, look, I'm delighted I have that effect on you. You and I, we've seen each other in the radio. We've seen each other in the radio station a couple of times. So it wasn't, it wasn't like the last it's time. It's different. But no, it was, no doubt. It is. It was, it was good. And actually it was kind of fun that, uh, I mean, it was a glorious sunny day. And in that staging area outside gate two, it was the, the Canucks media all assembled. And there were a bunch of guys that I hadn't seen since the last time the team was on the ice. So, you know, we've talked about the fact that, look, there's a massive social element to all of this. We were remarkably well spaced out. I think you actually, in your piece, you had done the count of however many seats there were between us. Like, it was funny because Farhan was the closest guy to me as we watched the practice in the front row. And he kept turning to me and talking, but he had a mask. And he was so far away that, like, honestly, there were a couple of times I was like, 
I can't hear you. Like, what? What? Like, speak up or take the mask off or whatever. I know. So well, you know, I had to take it off during the Zoom calls too. Like, if I asked a question, yeah. I had to unhinge my mask because it, I, you know, <laughs> I, it's too muffled. I couldn't. I couldn't. Yep. I couldn't speak with the mask on. I, I sounded like, you know, I was like. I was born in the darkness. Like it sounded like Bane. I was like a a, a, a Tom Hardy character or what have you. So no, I, the masks are the masks make things a little bit challenging. But honestly, there was nothing insurmountable. And you know, from what I understand, like it was a pretty significant process with approvals being run through the provincial health authorities and with you know uh, the NHL itself and with WorkSafe. Um, Stephanie Maniago of Canucks PR really spearheaded that part of it. You know, the Canucks PR staff is split now. You've got Ben Brown inside the bubble. You've got the other three, you know, running a variety of different things. I think we're all still trying to figure out the Zoom availability thing. Like, I'm not sure how to get what I need. I mean, I think if you read the notebook that Harmon and I produced off of day one, it's it's much more opinion than the ones that we'd have produced at training camp where we have more access with players. So, um, you know, I'll be curious to sort of see where this goes, but I think overall uh, a really good first day. And, and now we just hope that, you know, attendance is steady and there's not too many players absent and we don't have too much cause for speculation within a framework that doesn't suit our needs and, and not the needs of the team either frankly and uh and that things go relatively well not just here but also in the places with higher levels of community transmission because i do think the next five days are going to be the diciest days we see in terms of the nhl's effort to return to play yeah, like honestly, I mean, you know, we throw this around during the season. Guys are day to day. Every single one of these guys and every one of these practices right now is truly day to day, and we'll see what the next day brings. And you know, have to do the head count to see who's out there, and we'll see how quickly. Like it was moments before the scheduled start time of that first day of practice that the Canucks tweeted that Furland was unfit to play. So I'll be curious to see if they're consistent that way. You know, rather than waiting five minutes in as we're trying to figure out who's on the ice and who isn't. And, you know, I think there might be some change in the group from day to day where a guy like Jalen Chatfield, you know, one of the black aces, he skated with the main group. But, you know, Broken Rafferty could get that opportunity or maybe they plug a Cole Lind in to give him a chance with the main group at some time or Ole Levy. You know, so I'm not sure that the, the main skating group is going to remain fully consistent day to day to day and that could make it a little bit more challenging you know just to figure out who's in and who's out and who mm-hmm. should be there and, and who shouldn't so again we'll we'll sort of take each day as it comes and uh you know just kind of deal with it that way hey look the last time we did one of these pods uh we kind of laughed that you know you had found yourself embroiled in this battle of relitigating the trade records of Mike Gillis and Jim Benning over a 15-year period and, you know, there were some heated comments back and forth in that Twitter thread. But, man, uh, that was the undercard. Like, tr- that was just some sparring. Like, you were getting ready for the main event that happened uh, over the weekend. And, <laughs> look, there just there were so many arms and legs. And I referenced name-calling at the outset of this podcast. Like, things kind of got off the rails uh, pretty quickly. At the same time, you know, it, it just... Drives home the point, though, that when the Canucks are up and running, uh, they are the show, and the passion runs ridiculously deep in this city around this hockey club. I mean, it does. And, you know, I think that, (laughs) like, this market, 
is a weird one, right? Right, Jay? Like, it is. It's a weird market. We don't have... I hear that repeatedly. Like, I live in it, and I'm yes. in the middle of it. So, you know, when you're in the storm, it's hard sometimes to see the storm. Yeah. And, but, but look, I, I recognize it because you hear it from enough credible people on the outside <laughs> who watch from afar and still, after all these years, can't quite figure out, you know, what this market is really all about. And I think the main things, like, here's the things that drive it, right? The first is, is that Central Canada, like, when we think about, like, the hockey ethos, you know, the, like, stiff upper lip lip hockey ethos, like, that's largely derived from Central Canadian sort of standards, like the Ontario sense of the Ontario hockey culture, which has come to dominate, um, you know, hockey culture in Canada across the board. And I think you get something pretty similar in Alberta where, you know, like if you watch a Dave Tippett media availability, like the technical questions, the technical questions he answers are really high level, like, you know, structure and uh, your one, two, two, four check and matchups like they go deep on technical matters. Um, And then you watch the Vancouver Canucks coach do a press conference or an availability. And like I have this really distinct memory of just like missing you guys when I was in Florida and sitting into the, at the back of the Norman Jewison media room and, and watching Travis do an availability. And he did like 10 minutes on Darren Archibald and Reed Boucher. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my God. Like, you know, this would make Bob Bugner's eyes jump out of his head. Like, this is crazy. Um, like <laughs> Canucks media and the, and the way that they go about their business is so distinct and it's distinct, I think, because the Canucks are covered in this market, like the show. They're covered like the U.S. covers the NBA or the NFL or like the English press covers soccer. And I think this is arguably the only market other than Montreal where that's the case. Like Montreal has two languages, which changes the dynamic. But, you know, Vancouver, Montreal – the sport itself, the NHL teams in those cities, is covered with this sort of all-consuming, uh, yes, dramatic bent uh, fervor. And uh, you don't get that in any of the American markets, I don't think. And and I don't think you get that in the central Canadian markets or Alberta. And so, you know, I think that that changes things. And, and I'm sure it's hard on the team. And I do think occasionally it goes too far. Uh, I certainly think it's been warped somewhat by 50 years of you know, a, a lack of success and no cup wins. Uh, but, you know, it's fun and it's good for the Canucks. Like, it's good for the Canucks that one day in to their, you know, return to play phase three skate, like they're the talk of the town. And they're the talk of the town because Jim, Brock, and Travis all stepped up and were doing, you know, slam dunk competition through the legs <laughs> dunks on the Matt Sakaris report. And the fact that Matt Sakaris, you know, then fires back is hilarious. Like, it's good for everybody that there's this to talk about. Now, look, I do feel for Besser. Like, I don't think it was a, a the timing was particularly fair to him. Um, I get that. It's the playoffs. I, I knew the team was upset about it. Like, I could tell over the weekend. Uh, I wrote it Monday morning and, and was grateful that that turned out to be prescient. But, you know, when you think about it, like, all of this for a, for a league that hasn't played games in five months, like it felt like the city was ready not just to have hockey back, but to argue about hockey, to sort of get <laughs> down into it. And that's what makes this market so fun to be engaged in day to day for me anyway. Um, 
and, and you know, the precious, like, oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, like, I just don't have time for it. Like, oh, no, it's embarrassing. We have smart fans that care about their team and like to talk about it. Like, oh, no, heavens me. Why would we want that? Let's have, let's have more talk about 110% uh, every shift we take and taking it shift by shift and day by day. Like, that's what we want. Like, who wants that? What are we talking about? Well, look, I just love the fact that hockey's in the air. Uh, you know what else is in the air is that sweet smell of Hawthorne. And I got to take a sec here to talk about the good people at Hawthorne because getting Hawthorne cologne is that easy. And if you're in the market and you're looking for a new scent for the new hockey, maybe you want to you know, change your smell up a little bit for the hockey season, right? Again, we're living in times that are unprecedented. Maybe this is what people are going to do. They're going to change up their scent uh, for the hockey season. Uh, you take a two-minute quiz on the Hawthorne website. Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free, free shipping and free returns. So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code ATHLETIC and get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. And use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Uh, let's just revisit the Besser thing because it really has been the talk of the town. And I'm with you. The timing in all of this, the timing is sort of the strange aspect because, yes. look, if the Canucks are going to address their needs on defense, and we've spent ample time on this podcast talking about reshaping the defense, you know, at some level, it only makes sense that they would look at moving a surplus of wingers, whether it's Besser, whether it's Jake Vertanen. You know, they have commodities on the right side. That's where they sort of have their surplus. So I, I get that part of it. I don't know the timing now. I can sort of formulate my own theories, I suppose. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, Brock Besser, he's got to be a little better than he was when we last saw him on the ice. Like Some of this is going to be on Brock Besser, too, to, you know, put the rumors and all this stuff behind him. If it's a distraction, I hope that it's out of the way now for him. And there's, you know, two full weeks of camp before the play-in. And, you know, the fact that the Canucks have drawn Minnesota, I think, is a great matchup for him. You know, he shouldn't need much motivation, but... You know, if there's that one franchise that maybe can bring out the best in Brock Besser, it's his hometown team. Uh, you know, he's played well against them. He's scored against them in the past. But, you know, keep in mind, like when we last saw him, he came back for one game after the rib injury. But he's gone 12 without scoring. And for a guy that's made goal scoring look so easy throughout his career, you know, 12 games without a goal, even broken up by an injury like that, it's just too long. And he's no longer on the top line. So, you know, what is Brock Besser going to look like now trying to generate offense at even strength, playing with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson? I, I mean, I think he'll look great. Like, I don't see why that would line wouldn't function really well. And, you know, I'm already starting to see some commenters be like, put the lotto line together. And it's just like, look, that's a good option. Like, you, if, if the lotto line's your fallback, uh, you're in a good spot. And, you know, I think uh, Toffoli did some pretty spectacular things with Pedersen and Miller. And, and here's a big thing about why Toffoli makes sense with Pedersen is, you know, Pedersen, like Pedersen has one of the highest on ice and personal shooting percentages in the two years since he entered the league in the NHL. Like it's a sky high number. And you know me, J-Pat, I almost always look at sky high numbers and say that's coming down. And it's a credit to how ridiculous it is to watch Pedersen play that I watch Pedersen play and I'm like, Oh, Oh, he's going to sustain that. <laughs> like, Oh, Oh, this guy can actually, this guy actually is going to, you know, put goalies in a time machine 
and make it so that they've never learned the butterfly style and they'll only stop, you know, 85% of shots when he's on the ice. Like, that's how good he is. And, you know, putting a guy like Toffoli with a guy who's an efficiency machine like Pedersen is, uh, you know, that just gives you more chances to to put that goalie in the time machine. Like, he took four shots per hour at sixty at five on five in those 10 games with the Canucks. Like, just absurd rates. And you got to keep that. Like, the way that he drives quality looks uh, is irreplaceable for the Canucks at this point. And so Besser goes with Horvat, you know, a player with whom he's had success with in the past, no, most notably during his rookie year. And... You know, I think it's going to be a big opportunity for him. Like, not just because he's going to play top six minutes and not just because he's now, you know, again, the best Hor- the best winger Horvat's ever played with, but also because it's going to challenge him to continue to round out his two-way game. And his two-way game's taken big steps, just as his playmaking has. You know, I think that people have started to sleep on this guy because his shooting percentage was low this past season, like literally at 75% of his career norms. And so all of a sudden people are talking about all these reasons why his shot's not working and the velocity's down and, you know, but this is a guy who's like, think about what Brock Besser really is. Brock Besser's not a power forward and he's not a burner. He's just a high IQ player who knows how to produce points in the NHL. And if your disappointing season means that you, you know, is a season in which you produced at a 65 points over 82 game pace. Like, that means you're incredible. Like, that, that if that's your disappointment, then you're amazing. And Besser is amazing. So, I mean, I think that ultimately Besser's going to show what he can do. What he can do is pretty freaking incredible. And, and we'll forget about this in short order. But in the short term, you know, first of all, I think these are realistic possibilities. Uh, you know, I think among the chattering class, when people saw that Sakaris report, people sort of thought like, you know, oh, the boat captain, um, this is actually kind of obvious. Like, this isn't a huge surprise to anybody. Like, of course, you know, as the Canucks navigate their cap issues and look to, you know, improve their defense, like, isn't that right wing spot going to be an area of surplus, especially if they re-sign to Foley? Like, isn't one of Vertanen or Besser going to be needed to be trade bait to bring in a defenseman? Like, what wasn't that sort of the was wasn't that sort of yeah. your reaction? Yeah, and we've talked about that in the past, just yeah. in generalities. So again, that, that's why you know to me the report itself, you know, take it as you will. But I think some of that had been sort of kicked down the road at times. It was just the timing as they were getting set to return to play where trades aren't happening and for this to come out, like if this had come out the minute they got eliminated from the play-in against Minnesota and Besser had struggled or something, like I guess, you know, the timing there would have made more sense to me. Uh, whatever, it happened now. The Canucks addressed it. And as you said, it wasn't just uh, Jim Benning. It was Travis. It was Brock himself. And, you know, I, I guess I hope that they've kind of put that one to bed. But, you know, let's see how this play-in goes. And some of these storylines are sure to surface again. I, I just have to ask you, just to be clear here. So you side-eye the sky-high numbers? Is that... Uh, I side-eye the sky-high. Yeah, side-eye the sky-high. Yeah. Put it okay. on a t-shirt. Let's go. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and, and look, I, I'm still bullish on Besser. I mean, a 23-year-old that scored 29 goals in his rookie season, 26. I, I, I still, though, am a little perplexed by... 
you know, the two halves of the season. I mean, a point a game guy at the midway mark with Pedersen and Miller for the most part. And then when they took him away, you know, his offense essentially dried up. He had six points in the 16 games, the final 16 games he played. So, you know, that's where it's fine to say he and Horvat have had chemistry in the past. I'll give them every opportunity to prove that this is going to work. I, I do expect that Horvat's going to be used, you know, primarily in that sort of checking role. And we'll see what impact that has on uh, five on five offense and how much they're able to spend, you know, in the offensive zone. But, you know, I just come back to my point at some point, you know, we can say all we want that. Yeah. Brock Bester is a goal scorer. He's got, to, he's got to prove it. He's got to score some goals. And they need him. They're going to need him in this play-in series. So it's a great opportunity for him. I think it's there. He's going to get chances. And, you know, that is the one thing through this. And you talked about his shooting percentage. Like, even missing a dozen games, he finished second on the Canucks in shots on goal. So the shot rate was where you want it to be for yep. Brock Besser. We just didn't see an awful lot of him staring down goalies, picking his spot and just ripping it past them the way, you know, like yes. I think back earlier in his career, the, you know, Carey Price charges out of the net to challenge him. There's nothing to shoot at. And Besser just, you know, made it look easy and, and ripped one home. Same against Henrik Lundqvist. Like he was doing this to the best goalies in the business. We didn't see that as much this past season. And, you know, there may be reasons. I hope that this downtime has given Brock a little bit of time to sort of reconsider, you know, where that offense has gone. Because again, I come back to the fact that they are going to need him. Um, and he didn't necessarily need, you know, he got dragged into this un knowingly and unwillingly and I hope that it's not a distraction for him I think that with enough time here before they play these games you know he should be able to to move on past this yes I I I think he will he's still really young and again this is going to be a big opportunity for him playing his hometown Minnesota Wild in a qualifying round series like you know again I do I do feel for him I don't think this was a fair time to have this distraction uh, you know sort of put on him even though I, I think the report is you know I mean, I trust Sakaris' sourcing. I think Sakaris does tremendous work. So Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, but, but it's not about that. It's about, you know, w- however the information got to Sakaris, like, that shouldn't happen as an organization. Like, if I'm the PR guy, I'm furious, right? So, um, you know, I, I understand that it wasn't an unfair spot or it was an unfair spot for him to be in. I feel for him personally on that level. Uh, and all of that said, you know, I can't help but think that watching him vocally call out the reporting and the timing, like loved it. I loved it. Yep. Um, yep. Watching. No, I, I agree. And, and there's no way this doesn't help amplify the stakes ahead of, you know, the series that he's in at the end of the day. I just can't look at that and think anything, but isn't this good for everybody in this building right now? Like, isn't this good for the Canucks? Isn't this good for the media? Like, isn't this good for the fans? It's something to argue about. We've been, you know, arguing about curves and stuff and hub cities and phases and, you know, all these Orwellian phrases over the last five months. And now we're arguing about trades and playoff performance and lines. Like, let's fucking go. Beautiful. It was a great day no, yesterday. I, 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 I'm with you a, a thousand percent. And it just, it, it feels like we're right back into hockey where we left off back in March. And that's just one day into Canucks training camp. Hey, as businesses return and business opportunities arise, you know, if you're a business owner out there and you want to let the world know that, hey, over here, we're open for business, come and see us, whatever your business is, 
Uh, why don't you consider the VanCast as a vehicle to help you get that message through? Most of our listeners are in and around uh, the city of Vancouver, so what better way to promote the, your business than through our show? Our listeners are loyal, they're engaged. We've just talked about that, how engaged everybody is uh, on Canucks Twitter. What better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast, which of course is the VanCast? To advertise on this very show, go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads. And there you can fill out a simple form. We'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. Let's do some business. Let's get that message out there. Hockey is back. People are listening. They're fired up. We're fired up. Uh, that's what the Bankcast is all about. And look, there are two sides to this Canucks-Minnesota play-in. Wild TV analyst Ryan Carter joins Mike Russo this week to discuss the start of the Wild training camp ahead of the series between the Canucks and Minnesota. So you can check that out if you want news from the other side, the dark side, uh, straight from the source at The Athletic. Uh, Just to finish up here, I know some people thought the fix was in with Name That Canuck, and we put it on the shelf on the last episode. You know, we ran for 12 weeks or something and ended in a tie, and people didn't like that. They wanted overtime. They wanted a shootout. They wanted us to settle our score. And maybe we will somewhere down the road. But uh, with hockey back, uh, we won't be playing Name That Canuck for, for a little while. No, but if we ever get to live in a normal, fun world again, I think <laughs> I think we settle it with a master clash live. Like, Name That Canuck live. Um, and, we will, uh, and we will solve it with, uh, with our good friends around. All right. Well, let's see what the rest of camp brings. Uh, certainly, it'll certainly produce uh, more noteworthy and newsworthy items that uh, we'll dive into and digest on the next VanCast later on this week. In the meantime, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget, rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash the VanCast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Hey, Drancer, I'll see you at the rink. I'll see you at the rink, bud. Can't wait. There you go. That's going to do it for this episode of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.